Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning team, welcome to It's a Good Life, and we want to help you think, feel, and do better. And I think you're going to feel a lot better today after our interview. We have a very special man and guest on this show today. His name is Chris Norton. Some might be familiar with that name and some might not be. There was a Netflix documentary actually uh, that's out right now called Seven Yards, made about his life. Chris was a football player at Luther College in Iowa and he suffered a catastrophic spinal cord injury. Chris became a quadriplegic. Remarkable story of faith, positivity, inspiration that his life has become. There's basically a phrase, and it's on the back of this fantastic book called The Seven Longest Yards, which is Chris' book, and it says, it just says, quadriplegic simply do not walk again. That's the statement. And that's a true statement, except Chris walked seven fantastic yards. First of all, he talked about, he walked across the stage to graduate, and then with his bride Emily help, uh, he walked seven yards down the aisle, seven years after his injury on the day they got married. So a remarkable story, perseverance, inspiration. Chris Norton, welcome to the show. We are honored to have you here, sir. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I appreciate that introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and before Luther College and before this uh, defining moment in your life. uh, Tell us about yourself and where you grew up. I grew up in a, a small town just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. I had you know two amazing parents and two sisters. I grew up just loving sports. I love competition. It doesn't matter if it was rock, paper, scissors, uh, card game of war, dodgeball, you name it. Like I love competing. I love winning. And so I just always had this uh, competitional edge about myself. And of course, that led to playing basketball and football. And uh, fortunately, I had the opportunity to, yeah, continue playing football uh, after high school. And another thing, too, that was really important to me and my upbringing is, you know, personal faith. My, my parents, uh, when I was a kid, they dragged me to church, right? I wanted to sleep in. And I didn't want to have to go to church, but I'm really thankful that they did because that would be a, a huge part of my life and how I would get through um, a lot of my challenges. Well, you know, we have a lot of people right now going through challenges, and, and some of the challenges that we face today are inconveniences. You know, we have supply chain issues, and we have certain levels of ideological and political divisions and things like that. You have a hyper-negative media, which more so than years past, and everything on social media. And, and then you have some really chronic stuff and difficult things and hard things that we have to experience. And, you know, we've all seen all the different news stories and things that come out. It's very easy to get focused on the small. I mean, we can, you know, the, the coffee was too hot, the fast food was too slow, or the modern conveniences of life can be interrupted. And then there's big stuff and big difficulties. In 2010, you were playing football for Luther College and doing quite well. And then in an instant, everything changed. We had uh, an interview with a lady by the name of Dr. Maya Shanker, who uh, is a fantastic lady, has a program called A Slight Change of Plans. And she talks about the changes that take place that transform a person's life. Well, you had a very significant change of plans when you had a chronic sports injury. And again, I'm a fan. my son played football at SMU in Texas. He got hit so hard one time on special oh, wow. teams, it made ESPN. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's an impressive feat. Right. It's a dangerous sport. There's a lot at risk. 
Talk a little bit about that injury that changed everything for you. Yeah, like like you said, change of plans. I you know came into college with these big hopes and dreams. I'm going to be an all American football player. I'm going to meet the girl of my dreams, and then you know make enough money to own a beach house or. Better yet, the girl of my dreams family already owns a beach house. <laughs> but, you know, as life as it says, you know, life happens to you while you're off making other plans. And so it was the, the sixth game of my freshman season when everything changed. The third quarter, we're mounting this comeback. I run out to the field for the kickoff and the kicker, he calls a play. What position were you? Yeah. I was just an outside gunner, and my job okay. was to just yeah. um, either I'm either containing or I'm there to just blow up the play. And yeah. so on this particular play, mortar kick right, which is you know the short high arching kick to the right side of the field. And I don't know why Brian, we didn't just call it kick right because our kicker was so bad. Every <laughs> kick was short and high arching. <laughs> <laughs> that's how my son got blown up he it was a punt that was supposed to go left that went right and the, him and his teammates got hammered out at the same time oh no so i'm on the right side of the field so like i'm pumped i'm like okay here's my chance i'm a, I'm a freshman i'm gonna make a name for myself you know i was playing more than any other of the freshmen in that class and among all the different special teams units i'm i'm jacked out like this is my chance and you know the ball's kicked I'm sprinting downfield. I see an opening forming. You know, my instincts are telling me that ball carrier, he's going to run through that gap. Now I'm going to stop him. Now I'm going to drive my shoulder so hard through his legs. Hopefully, he'll drop the ball. And I go for it. I collide with him at full speed, full force. But I mistimed my tackle by a split second. Instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head collided right with his knees. And in an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. I'm lying there motionless, listening to the players crashing to each other above me. The whistle blows, the pile clears off, but I can't move. No matter how hard I try to push through the ground, nothing in my body is working. And it feels like someone just flipped the power off to my body. And I didn't realize in that moment, but I had just suffered a severe spinal cord injury and my life was about to drastically change. Were you in a lot of pain? Was it like a a shock? Were you in a shock? Was it a crushing pain or were you just numb? It literally all feeling and movement just got completely powered down, like completely turned off, like pulling the uh, plug from the outlet, like nothing was there. And I, yeah, I couldn't feel anything, completely conscious, completely aware of everything. Uh, you know, what's kind of unique to some of the doctors and surgeons I've talked to is the fact that my head, I didn't suffer a concussion. I was completely clear. There was no kind of ringing in the ears, like no kind of rattled. It was literally just my neck that just got completely uh, broken. And I was calm and collected at first. I was thinking, okay, um, just give me a few minutes, probably like a really bad stinger, which I've had a couple bad stingers where it made my whole body go numb and asleep for maybe like a minute or two. And then, you know, I, I bounced right up and continued. Well, you know, time was going on and you know, nothing's coming back. The athletic trainers are there. The paramedics get involved. They're asking me questions like, Chris, can you make a fist with your hand? 
I'm trying to make a fist and nothing's happening. Um, and as these questions are, are, are taking place, like, Chris, can you feel us touching your legs? And it's, no. I'm starting to feel a little bit more anxious and, and worried about it. But I'm telling myself, you know what? You know, bad things don't happen to you. Like bad things happen to people that you read about in the newspaper, you watch on television, or maybe it happens to a guest on your podcast, but there's no <laughs> way like this is going to happen to me. Like I just thought like I was immune to bad things happen to me because that's uh, gives you a little snapshot of how my first 18 years of life went. Like things just went without a hitch and, um, and little did I know that my life was going to change drastically. And so when I hear a paramedic radio in for a helicopter, that's when I know this is bad. A severe football injury is not part of my plan. And I close my eyes and I begin to pray. Just, God, please just give me the strength to walk off the field and be with my teammates. Like I beg you, I just want to be a normal college kid. I will give up playing sports if it means I can walk again, which at the time, like sure. that was a huge yeah, bargain for me. Like I'm an athlete. Like that was my identity. So like I'm trying to bargain. I'm trying to beg. And, but little did I know that God actually had a much bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself. So uh, as I read the book, there's a turning point. You left the hospital and you had to adapt to this new way of life. And on March 20th, 2011, you have this kind of turning point. What, what was that turning point for the folks listening? Yeah. So after surgery, I'm given a 3% chance to ever move or feel below the neck. I'm able to get a little bit of strength back in my arms, eventually a little bit in my legs. And I'm in the hospital for seven months. And then I get to come home. Just say, you know, stop there for a second. In a hospital for seven months. I had a pretty serious motorcycle accident. I was in the hospital for six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, I was beside myself, you know. Seven months is a prison sentence in a hospital. I mean, just going through that is just shocking. It was. And at the same time, like at first that sounded like forever. But honestly, I was a little fearful about going back to where I grew up and because I wasn't going to be the same person. Like while I, I felt, you know, the same, but how I saw things from a person being a quadriplegic and from a wheelchair Everything was a little bit different. You were an athlete. You were a jock. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And now you're, so you're, like you say, your identity, your identity kind of went away on that field, right? That day. It did. I had to really kind of figure out, you know, what is my true identity? And, you know, while I identified as an athlete, what does that really mean? It means I pride myself on my hard work, my dedication, being a good teammate. And so those are the things I had to, you know, pull away from that athlete self and i can still use those use those things whether from a wheelchair or not and so those are the things i had to remember and also that people while i value myself as being like an accomplished athlete not everyone else did right like my friends what they really cared about what my family and other people they care about who you are as a person right your character they don't care about how fast you can run or how much you can bench press or squat like those things aren't really aren't important although i thought they were what they really cared about is how you make them feel. Like, do you serve others? And so I, I came to learn that um, through that journey, which uh, was not an easy journey. And, and like you said, though, like on March 20th, uh, which is my birthday, it was my 19th birthday. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because this is actually my first time uh, going out with my friends for the first time, like away from my parents, which again was a big deal as a quadriplegic because I need help with everything. Like I need to ask them to fill up my water bottle to help me go to the bathroom. Like there's so many things that I'm now dependent on other people. So just the vulnerability to just ask for help. Well, we're at my friend's house. We have reservations for uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. I love March Madness. Like that's one of my favorite sporting events. We're going to go catch the games and we're running late for a reservation. We have one guy holding a, a table down for like 15 people. And so finally we scramble out to our cars my buddy, he lifts me from my wheelchair into the front seat of the car. And as he's lifting me, I hear, I hear a faint clicking sound, and like a, like a car lock sound. Like, and, it, and he's loading me in. I'm, I'm like, did he? His butt bumped the lock. And as I'm looking over to check the locks, I notice the keys are dangling from the ignition and then the door slams shut. And my heart drops because the car is locked. And so, which, you know, not a big deal. You just unlock it, right? Well, I try reaching for that unlock button. And no matter how hard I try, I can't even unlock the, the door. And I just felt so embarrassed and humiliated. I felt like a baby. Like I could not even reach the door lock. And as my friends are realizing what had happened, that I was locked in the car, they could just see in my face that I'm about to lose it. Like I'm about to cry. And thankfully, one of my, my best friend and my roommate from college, uh, Rich was there. And all of a sudden he starts fogging up the car window with his breath. And I was like, okay, what is this? What is he doing? And then he's like, starts rubbing it, makes like binocular eyes through the car window. He's like, Chris, you are losing oxygen. I need you to conserve your breathing in this like really goofy, high pitched voice. And I just start laughing. Like he was acting like I'm going to die in this car because his oxygen is running out. He starts going through these breathing exercises like, breathe with me, breathe with me. And like he's just being super goofy at the same time. You know, my other group of friends are driving to get the spare keys because the spare keys are at another friend's house, which is about 20 minutes away. And it just like broke the tension. And what it really helped remind me of, like we made it to Buffalo Wild Wings. We were very late and we had a great time. But I almost let that inconvenience of being locked in the car and being late for these birthday plans to almost ruin the entire night. And that things aren't always going to happen your way. Like things will come up. And as, especially in a, as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, like I definitely come to learn to be flexible and adaptable and that things are still going to be okay. Like things can fall apart, but it doesn't mean it to fall or ruin your entire day. And so those moments I have learned to just let go. It struck a chord with me. I, I'm, I'm sure you know who Nick Vujicic is. And Nick and I have been friends for years. And Nick was born without arms and has no legs and basically a, a little 
flipper of a foot is what he calls it, right? And he just talks about reaching the place. He was 12 years of age, and his mother raised him and father raised him to be very independent and so on and so forth. But when he got to this place of just being totally helpless, he came to the point where he was going to end his life and ended up being a giant, literally come to Jesus experience for him. But we're all so occupied with control. I think the average person, whether we recognize it or not, I mean, I, I remember being at an event one time, we had a speaker turn to the person next to you saying, I'm a control freak, and so are you. And, and everybody laughed. But when you really think about it, control is where many of us get our safety and our security. And the more we can control, the more safe we feel. And here you are, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing. You're finally out with your buddies. You know, it's got this new identity, and now you're locked in the car, and you can't do the most basic thing. That's a complete loss of control. And what I found when I, when I read this, I, I just, it struck me that, you know, here you are going, you know, your, your buddy was wise enough to make it fun and kind of break the ice and do all this. But that when you say, hey, it's going to be okay. Things aren't going to go your way. Be flexible. Like that's the mindset you've adopted for a complete loss of control you know, of almost your whole life. I mean, that's not altogether true because you have elements now you can influence and direct and you have a family and a, and a wife. We're going to talk about that. But at the end of the day, I think the lesson for people listening is no matter what, you can persevere, connect, and you can move forward and progress enormously even when you feel totally out of control. And that sometimes being helpless and needing help is actually the best place of all to be. I believe humility is a key ingredient for success, and it puts you in that space. You know, one of the most remarkable things, I've seen this with John O'Leary, and I've seen this with Nick Vujicic and guys that have been through extraordinary difficult times, I don't know what it is, but they seem to attract some remarkable women into their life. And you are no different. And I I told you before we talked today, I'm excited to talk to you, but I can't wait to meet your wife, Emily, because she just sounds and looks like a, a superhero to me. When you went back to school living with friends, how did you end up meeting Emily? Maybe you can tell the folks. Yeah, we uh, met online and those conversations quickly turned to uh, text messages. And then uh, we decided that we're going to meet up at this you know, public spot at the Iowa State University where she was going to school. And of course, when she told me, because we lived about, our schools are about three hours apart, actually. And when she told me that she was moving in this weekend, I instantly went into calling my buddies who went to that school. Like, hey, can I come down for the weekend? And and see you. And finally, when I got a yes, um, I texted her back, hey, wow, I'm going to be there too. Like, what a coincidence. <laughs> we'll have to meet up. And so uh, we met up at this public spot, the hot dog stand, actually. And I was <laughs> waiting there. And I'm extremely nervous, uh, just trying to think through, like, does she really understand, like, my limitations and being in a wheelchair? Like, what's she actually going to think of me? Um, is this uh, legit or not? And then finally I see her crossing the street and I'm pretty sure my jaw dropped to the floor. <laughs> I could not believe how beautiful she was. I knew she was a gorgeous lady, but seeing her in person was just another level and she was walking towards me. And so I had to you know, pick my jaw up, act like I'd been there before. And you know, she was uh, way out of my living. I way out kicked my coverage on this one. And uh, she just came up to me, started talking to me, and uh, it was just natural. And she was looking at me in my eyes. She wasn't curious that about my legs or the way my hands look or you know anything else. She just just a genuine person, a heartfelt person. And it 
you know, you could say the rest is history. I, I think I fell in love right there in that moment. Uh, I, I kind of knew right away. Um, but she's a, a special lady and she really uh, came alongside me. And one of the really cool things too is, you know, Emily uh, took on my goal and dream to walk across the stage as her own. And she actually became my toughest trainer. I'm not even exaggerating. She was always, you know, pushing me to take one more stab, do one more walk. And after a while, I actually walked it better with Emily than any of the therapists I've ever worked with. And I just knew she had to be the one who would help me walk across the stage. Well, if you get a chance to look up anything on YouTube, and there's many interviews and things out there about you, I always find it inspiring when I see her. You know, you guys have your little routine of how she lifts you up to your walking position and, uh, you know, walking across that stage in front of people. It's a if you want to have a good day today, you might stop this podcast, go to your YouTube and Google that Chris Norton walk across the stage. And it is, you know, you see your family there and boy, that is a hair raising inspirational moment. And, and, and you made the most of it. you had a little trick. You had a, a few little surprises up your sleeve too. Maybe you can tell the folks about that. Yeah, I did. I decided that that weekend that we didn't have enough going on. So I decided that I was going to propose to Emily the day before graduation. And I, let me tell you, I was 10 times more nervous for the proposal than the walk in front of thousands of people. And thankfully she said yes. Yeah, that was Because good. otherwise that next day would have been awkward. Yeah. But, you know, it worked out. That's great. How much work and effort was it for you? I mean, what did it take? How many hours did it take? How many, how many months and years were you pushing yourself to be able to walk those steps across the stage? Yeah, it took over... Um, 4,000 hours of training, four and a half years of perseverance to walk four yards with her, uh, with assistance. And let me tell you, it was a a long process, but it it was so worth it. And there were plenty of times where I asked myself, what am I doing? Like I'm putting all this time and energy into training to walk this short, you know, the short space, just four yards to get to my diploma, like, is it, is it worth it? But I just felt this, this tug of my heart and this passion that it was. And then to see, you know, that short walk, the, the impact that it had on so many lives and just knowing that if I can give people just an example and to know that my courage and my perseverance can help them with their own perseverance and courage, like, it's so worth it. Every single hour, every single minute um, meant something then. And so I, I'm just really happy that it turned out the way it did and I just feel very blessed. Well, and I don't know what the latest number is, but I, I, I know the millions and millions of views that that video has received. And ultimately, it shows what we're all looking for. You know, we're all looking for that hope. We're all looking for that inspiration. And at our coaching company, we have all these rags to riches stories and people who turn their life around and turn their business around. We send out our camera crews to do these good life stories, we call them. You know, a lot of times people are embarrassed about parts of the story, the most difficult part. And truly inspirational people and inspirational stories, the person themselves doesn't feel that inspirational. It's all being one big grind, you know. And I'm sure during all that time, it didn't feel like anything other than work and work and work. Here's what I will ask you. You have a goal like that, trying to take four steps. You didn't do it for millions of views on YouTube. You weren't doing it for any of those reasons. What is it that gave you that ferocity and that focus 
to push through all those thousands of hours and to push for four plus years to take four steps. What is that? And what can people tap into in themselves to pursue goals that are important to them? You know, something that I kept reminding myself is that your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. Your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. And, you know, with my hard work and my passion and also my faith, I believe that there was plans to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. I was terrified that it would never happen. But I thought, you know what? Let's find out. Because I know if I do nothing, then nothing will happen, right? But if I do something, there's a possibility. And I want to see what possibilities are out there for me. And so I'm going to work my butt off. And you were, you were clinging on to a Bible verse that gave you a promise that you, you embodied in your own life is what I heard. Absolutely. It did. And uh, I want to test it out, really. Like yeah. I, I had a faith in God and uh, thankfully I had that faith and it was like, okay, let's, let's see what happens. Let, let's see what can, can come out of this. The one of the, my worst nightmare, like, can I live a good, meaningful life? And I wanted to figure it out. And here's what I've come to learn too. Like I'm still in a wheelchair. I, I, I use a wheelchair every single day. I need a lot of help still. I've been able to, you know, get movement back in my arms and my legs. But again, I'm still considered a quadriplegic. But happiness is not measured in steps. I know people who can run, jump, and swim who are unhappy. So clearly, you know, happiness has nothing to do with your physical strength or even your possessions. It's everything. Or your bank account or your position or your house mm-hmm. and your cars or how happy your kids are. It's, it's a bigger deal. It is. It's your mindset. It's your mental mm. health. And I have challenges like everyone else. I just have learned how to deal and cope with mine. And as a result, I'm a positive person. I'm constantly asking, you know, what can I do? Right? I have a laundry list of things I can't do. Like I know that. But there are still ways that I can influence things. There are things I still can do. And what I found out is that, you know, there's still a lot. And living life in a wheelchair has taught me that your life is as limited as you allow it to be. And for me, I'm not going to let what I can't do to paralyze me more from what I can. Brilliant. The book is uh, The Seven Longest Yards. And this image here is of you and your bride walking down the aisle together. And uh, you talk about seven years after the accident, you walked seven yards. You went from four to seven. Talk a little bit about that and what that was like. Again, thousands of hours of training. But this time I had a driving force for me. Um, It was those messages that we received. These people who had shared these heartbreaking stories of loss and um, frustrations and challenges and knowing that my graduation walk gave people inspiration and courage to persevere. We're like, let's find out what we can do with our wedding walk. You know, there's people counting on me. And that's something that really kept me going was knowing that, you know, all of our examples, it matters, whether it's at a small degree, just with your friends, your spouse, uh, family, or, you know, in my case, I was privileged enough to have something again, go viral. But I knew that example mattered and that it can give people hope. And that's exactly what we wanted. And the walk um, ended up going extremely well. Uh, We're able to go those seven yards and uh, just fortunate that regardless, I went seven or one, 
I still got the girl. Like that, at the end of the day, that's all that mattered to me was that uh, we would be together and uh, I found my person and I just felt so blessed. Consistent in my understanding of success and growth that you adopted a certain mindset to be positive, to be directed, to focus on what you can as opposed to what you can't. I'm sure you've had moments of self-pity, but that didn't define you. And then you put in the thousands of hours, you go, you walk across the stage, you double it up, you must have a little showmanship in you because you get the engagement and then you walk across, this thing goes viral. And now because you understand that how much purpose there was to be directed from that because how it inspired and people sharing their stories and their hurts and their pains and their losses and how much your walk across the stage inspired them, now you take the opportunity of your wedding to do the same thing. And uh, brilliant stuff. And if all you've done is not inspiration enough, you and your bride have a beautiful family. I understand you've fostered 19 children. Is that, is that the latest number you've, uh, you guys have fostered? I think you said you have six or seven in the house right now. Yeah, we have fostered uh, 19 total, and then we've wow. adopted six kids. Wow. And currently, we have seven kids because we have our, our six children, and then we're fostering a two-year-old little boy right now. I mean, that in itself is a good book and a great story. <laughs> I could do a show on that. And uh, like I said, I think your wife, uh, is, uh, I'm looking forward to interviewing her at some point in time. What a remarkable family you have and what a, what a great story. And I, I just say this, you know, like just talking to you today, as I, I, knew, I knew what to expect. I've been in this situation many times with people like yourself and these common denominators I've seen, people who've become friends of mine. But it just shakes me. It shakes, I think, those of us who are struggling perhaps with things that are not as serious as losing the ability to be able to move, being completely vulnerable, being completely dependent on other people. And then here you are with a positive mindset, a positive attitude, a, a faith that embraces that and, and lives it out. And now here it is with a book called The Seven Longest Yards. Here's uh, Netflix with the documentary Seven Yards. And then here you are now speaking and inspiring people everywhere with your motivational speaking and your talks. And we'll be certainly talking about having you at some of our events uh, in the future. It's great stuff. Chris, we do a little something here at the show, and we've interviewed everyone you can imagine, billionaires to world-class athletes and comedians and actors and everyone else in between. We ask five questions at the end of each podcast, and most of our guests like you have no idea what the questions are, but it just gives a take and a common denominator for all the different guests we've had. So I'm going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions and see how the Iowan does. So first and foremost, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever received? I'll go back to one of the earliest memories of motivational advice I got from my dad. If you don't like where you're at, then do something about it. Nice. Way to go, dad. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? I wish I could uh, sing. I have an awful singing voice, Brian. It's, It's terrible, but it doesn't stop me. I'll still blare the music. I'll just try to drown myself out. Make a joyful noise, it says. Well, you know, it's about 95% of people I ask, they want to either sing, play a musical instrument, or perform on stage. So it's a common denominator. So you keep singing, bro. Who knows? It might be the seven longest (laughs) notes might be the follow-up book. What book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, um, I would say the one of the books I'm reading, I just got done reading is The Obstacle is the Way um, by Ryan Holiday and the obstacle is the way. Nice. Love it. You're scrolling through the channels, you're watching TV, and there's one movie you watch over and over and over again. What would that movie be? Oh, um, you know, Shawshank Redemption is probably a very 
repetitive one, which I could watch over and over again. But I would say, you know, something that I just love and just fills me up and uh, puts a smile on my face at the end is the wedding singer. <laughs> I love the wedding singer with Adam Sandler. Like I just get the biggest kick out of uh, that movie. And what is it about that movie that does it for you? The Shawshank, by the way, is the most popular answer we get. But what is it about the wedding singer that just fires you up? I don't know. I think it's just the the, the comedy, the 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 love story, and just fighting for um, uh, you know his woman, and then also understanding that life isn't about the money and the fancy stuff. And well, of course, that'd be great to all have, but it really comes down to just um, you know living a life of significance and being with the people that you truly enjoy. That's great stuff. I got one last question for you. What does a good life mean to Chris Norton? A good life means you know living a life of significance and to live a life of significance i think that takes you know adding value to others constantly learning and sharing but just really serving others and making an impact in someone else's life because it's really easy to focus on your own problems and the way i have found healing is through my own challenges is by being able to serve others mm. is by being able to yeah that's you powerful. know use my example to inspire somebody else and then also you know i started the chris norton foundation as well to, to help other people improve their quality of life with a spinal cord injury so those things have really you know helped me cope and um you know find value in myself because like you mentioned it's easier to glaze over the dark hard moments and i've had plenty of them i don't want people to think that it's all you know roses but you know, I'm able to work through it and um, add value to others helps me and focusing on what I can do. Spectacular stuff. Well, you add a lot of value to a half a million entrepreneurs here this morning and uh, give us all a lift. I, I feel encouraged having done this and privileged that I get to do this on a daily basis and talk to someone like yourself. The book's The Seven Longest Yards. I, I wish you the best with that. Much success with the documentary on Netflix. Uh, I know it's already done extremely well. And uh, it seems like there's only more goals in front of you uh, as your story and you and your bride together continue to impact people uh, for good. And so congratulations on a great life and a great return and an inspirational story that's come at a great cost. Apparently, God did have big plans for you and uh, you followed through on it. So congratulations and thanks for being our guest on the show today. Well, I'm going to leave it off to my 91-year-old mom back in Dublin, who's been an inspiration to me for a long time. Let's throw a little blessing over to Therese Buffini today. And if you're, if you're beat up, if you're banged up, if this really encouraged you today, perhaps you could listen to the words of my mother and this Irish blessing, not as a sign-off on a podcast, but maybe words you need to hear for this day. And it might be words that you can cling on to like Chris clung on to his. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.